We looked this morning. We are no longer in what, uh, you know, maybe I'm the only one that notices these nuances. We are out of chapter 11 of Hebrews, no longer looking at faith in Jesus being everything. Instead, looking at the fact, once again, that Jesus is not just better. He's not just good. He's not just the best. He is everything. He is intended to be everything because he is everything. As we will see that scripture tells us. We looked this morning at how can you run your best race. If you're like me, your best race would have come decades ago. You know, I was thinking this week about the dangers of the family reunion softball game. Uh, Softball is one of those uh, events that... If you just happen to, every now and then, like me, get a hold of the ball, meaning every now and then, like me, actually connect with the ball and send it out of the infield, you're in an immediate danger because getting from home plate to first base might be something that you pay for for the next week. All of those hip flexors and muscles In your legs, you will be feeling for days to come because of the adrenaline, the excitement of, I hit the ball. Now I got to get from here to there. It will make you sore. Most of us, our nephews could probably run the ball, you know, at this family reunion softball game. Our nephews could probably run the ball from the outfield to first base before we get there. It doesn't help um, that the situation is usually made worse by our relatives in the dugout heckling us or our wives telling us to be careful that we don't hurt ourselves. Like, I'm going to show you just how fast I can get from home plate to first base. Our smarter siblings don't make it easier. They're usually the ones that aren't playing, and they're sitting there like Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets. Remember those guys, the old guys sitting there? He's not all bad. No, no, he's, no, I'm sorry. He's not that bad. No, he's all bad. (laughs) All this just builds up into us. And if we do connect with that ball, we are going to be sore from that uh, run from home plate to first base. Well, our, our passage doesn't describe necessarily a softball game, but it describes a race. It continues after talking about the Old Testament saints, and we can think about the New Testament saints and all those saints and those in Christ who have come since then, those who have been saved by faith in Christ. These saints, they're not heckling us. They're waiting for us. They're waiting so that we can be God's redeemed people together, as we saw in verses 38 through 40 of chapter 11. So we look at Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, and it states, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
As I mentioned, uh, it is referencing these Old Testament saints, and it would be referencing as well New Testament saints and saints that have come since then as this cloud of witnesses, this large congregation of people that have gone before us in faith. The image is literal, literal forerunners before us that have run that race. Now, I want to correct something that's common in here. This is not saying that they are watching us. They are in heaven with God and they got better things to do. Sorry if that bursts your bubble at all. But uh, as one writer says, these people are not witnessing what we are doing. Rather, they are bearing witness to us that God can use us as he used them. That God can see us through. Think about the ring of honor at Lucas Oil Stadium. Think about those names that circle the top of the stadium. Peyton Manning, of course. Edger and James. Reggie Wayne. Like a stadium with names engraved on stone somewhere in their hall of fame or hanging on banners. The experience of the faith of these witnesses, it stands as a reminder and a testimony to our faith in Christ as our Messiah. First, I want to narrow down the crux of our passage here. This is kind of what I do as a part of exegesis, you know, finding like, what's the main statement here? And the main statement pops up in the verb that we should run. I believe the main thing that our verses are meant to do is to encourage us to live the Jesus-trusting life. As described, let us run. Run how? Just as all of these witnesses did, by faith. By faith in Christ as our Messiah. Live the Jesus trusting life. This let us run. Like I mentioned, it it looks at life figuratively. Like being a race. We do this with sports metaphors all the time. We say, you know, do your best. Leave it all on the field. Break the tape at full sprint. meaning, Meaning do your best until the very end of the race. The term here for run is one that we would, many of us would identify with if we were to run, agona. You know, it sounds like agonize or agony. Everything else in these verses points to helping us understand, run the race to live the Jesus-trusting life. It's, It's similar, it's not necessarily a sprint, It's more like a marathon or a cross-country event. Cross-country runners, they they know that it is going to take their all. They know that they need to pace themselves if they will. They know that it's it's going to involve some agony if they want to give it their best. You never see a cross-country team run to the event, right? Because they'd be wasting their energy. They know that it's going to take all of their energy to run that race. Today people <clears throat> are, identi- are um, defining their identity not with the person that they are running for. They're, identi- they're finding their identity in their preferences. 
We see this sadly in our culture as people play God with their lives by trying to bend their sexuality or bend their gender to their own will. Your identity should be defined by your Lord Jesus. It shouldn't be identi- your identity shouldn't be defined by your politics. It shouldn't be defined by your opinions on certain things. Your identity should be defined by your Lord Jesus. And from there, your preferences take a back seat. You should be willing to live for Him, enduring some agony throughout life to follow Him. This is the liberating truth that the people on the cutting edge of the sexual revolution need to hear. Give up your identity. Give up trying to define it yourself. Find it in Christ. And they need to hear this the same way that a person might need to, who has a bent toward alcoholism or a bent toward adultery. Even a person who is a bent toward same sex attraction is called to live their lives striving to find their identity in Christ and to live out their identity in Christ. In the same way that for any of us that might have a bent toward gossip. Or gluttony, or laziness, or busyness, or self-protection. We need to find our identity not in our bent toward those things, but toward Christ. Our, our, our identity needs to be found in our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to live the Jesus-trusting life. First of all, live the Jesus-trusting life that God has laid out for you. He says here, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This race calls for endurance. It will be harder than we think it should be. Maybe it will be longer than we think it should be. None of us would have expected to run part of our race without our spouse. Or to be blessed With a second spouse. Run the race that is set before us. It will take turns that we didn't expect. Why? Because we didn't design it. It was set for us. Trusting God's sovereign grace is a requirement for this race. To run it well. What God's design brings you to, God's grace will bring you to through so in summary here you're being told to live the life that god has laid out for you for his glory and with endurance enduring and saving faith trusting that jesus is everything we need for salvation and for growth and trust that the race that god has laid out for you is what he wants you to run by faith the race he laid out for you and similarly, you know, when in cross country, every high school lays out a different course, right? So Crawfordsville, it goes through the woods and stuff. Out at Southmont, it's like mowed in the field, you know, out on uh, 600 South. Your race, like I said, is probably longer and harder than you expected it to be. You must begin with a deep trust 
and a deep respect for the sovereign God who has laid out your race. Moving forward, living the Jesus-trusting life, live it by breaking free of hindrances. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. I know it looks like that this is kind of like a parallel verb to the let us run, but I'm going to geek out on you here a little bit. It's actually a participle that adds to that main word of let us run. This is the condition that we should be preparing in order to run our best. By laying aside the weight in Greek culture, this would be stripping down, getting rid of distractions. Uh, The runners would have run naked is the way it works. Do not apply this this morning, please. (laughs) Do not come to church taking this as a literal application. We'll send you home. They're to strip down from the distractions. They're also to strip down from the sin which clings so closely. This is not as individualistic as we make it. The idea here is is any sin that might trip us up. And the sin that is outlined over and over again prior to this point in Hebrews is the sin of distrust of God, of unbelief. This race is a race of living the Jesus trusting life. What sin clings more closely than what plagues our minds? Worry, doubt. But don't be embarrassed to take doubt to God. Just like any. You're being told to live with enduring faith in Christ, knowing and seeing how God was faithful to those who go before you, removing from yourself any dead weight and distractions, and also sin like unbelief or whatever sin might hamper you. You know, a batter might stand at the on-deck spot getting ready to, I know that was a terrible swing, um, getting ready to, to move into the batter box, and he might have a weight on that bat in order to just build up his strength, get, get his muscles uh, ready to, to really smack it out of the, out of the uh, ball field. But he's not going to walk up to the batting box with that weight still on his bat any more than a, than a runner is going to run in their warm-ups. Okay? Any Green Bay Packer player that, because it's too cold, comes out onto the field with those huge football parkas that they wear on the sidelines, uh, he's not going to be a Packer anymore. You know, I don't care how cold it is. Because you don't play the game, you don't run the race with that warm-up weight, with that, with that practice weight still on you. In the same way we're called to lay aside those things that would be distracting to us that would be distracting from running the Jesus-trusting life. Can you see why it is antithetical to the Christian life to marry someone who is not a believer? That is, that is a barrier to running and living the Jesus-trusting life. We're to marry someone that's running alongside of us in that Jesus-trusting life 
The Apostle Paul explained how he approaches things like this, even things that might be okay for him but might cause someone else to stumble. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And then he closes this argument in verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This action of laying aside what hinders us from the purpose of running our race with endurance. It is for the purpose of living the Jesus-trusting life. Why would we be willing to, to lay down whatever keeps us from enduring in our faith? It is because Jesus is worth it. Why is Jesus worth it? Because Jesus is everything. God's word puts it this way in Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body. The church. No other organization on the face of this earth can say that. That's how... What an honor it is to be a part of his body. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He's everything, and he did everything by shedding his blood on the cross. The penalty of our sin that we deserved. So that in trusting him as our Savior, we can have a relationship with God through Christ. The truths that we need to remind ourselves when we lose sight of why we fight and follow Christ are these, it is not about me. It is all about him. Because he is worthy. Lastly, live the Jesus trusting life by learning from Jesus himself. We're told that we do all this looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The verb here, uh, this, this participle, it's described as looking to Jesus. It implies a, a definite looking away from others and directing one's gaze toward Jesus. It doesn't help a runner to sit there and watch, look at their competitor. You know, if you're riding a bike, what's going to happen if you turn around to look at the person behind you? You are going to wipe out. But it's as if that emblem, that person, the life and person of Jesus is at the end of the race. And we are looking to him, being fueled and inspired by him. 
This, this suggests the impossibility of looking in two directions at once. We are not iguanas, right? With two eyes looking in two different directions, being able to see both things. We cannot look at two directions at once. We have got to put our eyes on Jesus to run this race with endurance. Who is he? He is the beginner and the finalizer of the gospel of this life that we are called to live. He's the founder. This means he's the pioneer forging the path of salvation for us to follow in. He's the perfecter. This goes back to that theme in Hebrews and it relates to the very word that Jesus said on the cross, his final one of his final statements, it is finished. It has been perfected. And as we were reminded of last week from Hebrews 10, that, that in Christ, by one single sacrifice, God has perfected for all time his children, those who are being sanctified. He is the perfecter of our faith. Recall from last week, the Old Testament saints are waiting for us so that we can be made perfect together. Jesus is the one that makes that perfection possible. And his perfect work was completed when he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Remember that this is what this writer of the book of Hebrews has been explaining for chapter after chapter. What he began in a summary statement of chapter 1 verse 3 saying, After making purification for sins, he, Christ, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, saying, My work is done. And all of these chapters since then have been explaining to the Hebrew readers how is it possible that Jesus, as the great high priest, sat down having completed his work? How is it that I can trust Christ? What example did he set as he was working to make his followers perfect before God in him? He endured The cross. F.F. Bruce says to die by crucifixion was the plumb, was to plumb the lowest depths of disgrace. It was a punishment reserved for those who were deemed most unfit to live, a punishment for those who were considered subhuman. But this disgrace Jesus disregarded as something not worthy to be taken account of when it was a question of his obedience to the will of God. So he brought faith to perfection by his endurance of the cross. And now the place of highest exaltation is his. The pioneer of salvation has been made perfect through sufferings. And he has therefore taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. End quote. But Jesus also displayed for us for what reason we endure For the joy set before him. For the same reason that when our race takes turns that we did not expect. And is longer and harder than we expected it to be. Like those saints before us and like Jesus before us. We endure keeping our eyes on him for the joy 
of being with him. For the joy, and it's okay for it to be for the joy of being with those fellow saints that have gone on before us. For the joy of completing the eternal plan of the eternal God. For the joy of being glorified once again, seated on his throne. For the joy of being surrounded by his redeemed people for all of eternity. This is why Jesus did this. You know, Steve Kerr coaches the Golden State Warriors. He has eight championship rings. Five as a player and three as a coach. There is great value to being a coach who played the game. Unless, who was that painter guy that coached the Colts for like one season? That played at Purdue? That wasn't all that valuable. But I digress. There is great value to being a coach who played the game. Jesus is described here as being our coach that is coaching us along, that we are to keep our eyes on him, and he played the game perfectly. And he played the game for the reason that we should. And he coaches us with his power. We are, we are not to do things for him. We are not to do things under him. We are not to do things over him. We are to live life with him and through him. I've gotten old enough that I can talk about watching Steve Kerr play, right, when he was with the Bulls. Uh, I've learned that's not impressive. (laughs) just shows how old I am. Every single one of us can watch how Jesus played. That's why the story was told to us four different ways in the Gospels. Learn from him. Jesus was the greatest coach And was the greatest player that ever lived the game of life. We learn from Philippians 2 that Jesus' whole experience is to be our example of how we are to live. And how we are to live with one another. We're told in Philippians 2 verses 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. Why? Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Live the Jesus-trusting life that God has laid out for you by breaking free of hindrances and by learning from Jesus himself. Let's bow our heads.